Hello, everyone. This is Summer. Welcome to our first episode. I'm super, super excited to share with you my conversation with Bernice Ye. She is a woman in tech, a dancer, and a stand-up comedian. In this episode, Bernice and I talked about her experience growing up in China, moving to the U.S., how she went from hardly laughing at all when she first saw a comedy show to becoming a comedian herself. We also talked about her journey from exploring the cultural nuances to bridging cultures in her comedy. There was a lot of laughter in the conversation. At some point, I was laughing so hard that I was in tears. We definitely bonded over some quirky experiences involving our pet rabbit and pet chicken. But really, I've learned so much from Bernie's ever since I met her. And there was one thing that she said in our conversation that really stuck with me, and that is the best way to defeat stereotypes that are faced by not just Chinese diasporas but Asian diasporas from all over the world is by sharing our stories. We celebrate our commonalities through our shared experiences, heritage, and values, but we also celebrate our differences. And to me, that is what makes us brilliant shades of yellow. I hope you enjoy this episode. So I am super excited to have you、um, in our first episode, and. You know, just honestly, I've been super fascinated, you know, by your profile, by your work, and I feel like you're such a multifaceted person. So I really hope that we can uncover a few more dimensions of you <laughs> in this conversation. So maybe just to start, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where you were born? When did you move to the U.S.? Sure, sure. Yeah. So I was born and raised in China in、uh, Hubei Province, a smaller city, Shaogan near Wuhan.、Um, and、uh, so I, I grew up and did my undergraduate、uh, in、uh, Peking University, and then I、uh, came to Purdue,、uh, study computer science. Through then, I you know got into technology. So you know moved to Seattle, worked at Microsoft, and nowadays I work at Hulu as a senior technical program manager. And I, I guess outside that, I dance and I do stand-up comedy.、Um, I think that's kind of a quick overview of how I got here. I, I only went to school in China up till I guess the second grade, but I know like Beida and Tsinghua, and these are like the legendary universities. <laughs> In China, they're like the equivalent of, I would say, Harvard. But I guess、uh, maybe, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, Harvard, you can probably get in with money, right? Can you get into Beida with money? Maybe you can too. Or it's. it's... I think. <laughs> I don't know.、Uh, at least I'm not aware of. <laughs> I know there. I know there are loopholes. You can add to some score, and I I know my classmates have find all kinds of ways to add maybe five points or like ten points so that they can go to like、uh, that school easier. And I remember one of my classmates、um, because her father is was the mayor, so we、oh, groomed、okay. her to be a a communist like at a super young. <laughs> so that she could add twenty points, <laughs> but that's that's all I know. So it's like twenty points to the mini communist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like you have to be a minimum twenty one years old to be a communist member, and she was、okay. too young. So they, no, sorry, eighteen years old. So we have they have to make a lie about her age and change her birth certificate and all that stuff <laughs> to get that twenty points. Like, and the four point is eight hundred. So oh、um, wow, yeah, because in China. China is, I mean, it's so much more competitive, right? Because of just the sheer number of students or people that are taking this exam every every year, and you gotta really outperform in order to, you know, to get into the top tier schools. Yeah, the the pressure is definitely was tremendous. I remember at my year of high school, we have ten thousand. Uh, high school student taking the test in my province, and only four students can get into computer science school、uh, at Peking University. So,、uh, the odds are definitely against you. Yes, absolutely, for sure. So, I mean, you know, when I think of you know your profile, right? Like I imagine in my head this 学霸 so. 
Is this like a newer contemporary Chinese term? I guess yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's a newer term because now my high school friends, we had a reunion uh, this holiday uh, last year. Everybody referred me as a xueba, but nobody ever called me xueba back then because it wasn't a word. <laughs> yeah, so xueba is like, I would probably translate it to a student warrior or a studying warrior, right? Someone who just excels. It's like, it almost like it came naturally to them. They didn't really have to study. So were you like that growing up? Um, I was like, um, I like that all the way to somewhere in high school. Like to middle school was very easy. I was the one who distributed the answer. I sell them to the, the students. So then they wash the dishes for me. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> It was good. Life was good. I made a business out of good, easy grades. Um, but for high school was much harder because of the pressure of going to college and then and then you know like i got into this whole dating thing and so the pressure was even more um so it was it was a help for me for high school so then how did you get into comedy because i envision you as someone who you know studies i mean probably just talented at, at you know doing well in school and then how, and then you know Obviously, you went to the U.S., you, you know, you got your graduate degree and then you got into tech. So how did that path lead you to comedy? Um, I guess before I started uh, comedy, um, dancing is what opened the door of, to me uh, to creativity. Um, so after five years um, working at a Microsoft where I finally, you know, uh, found a spot that I feel comfortable. I, I'm still well new to the culture, but I have settled in. I made my friends. I made good uh, income. So my life was comfortable. And mm -hmm. I think this is what happened when your life is comfortable. You want more. You want a more mental fulfillment. So I start to explore my creativity. Um, I think it's something like it's always there, but I just like, you know, I was trying to settle or just hustling and finally got a chance to take a breath and then feel like, oh, this is fun. Um, so I started like dancing, um, hip hop, jazz. I got super into it and Argentine tango. So my mind is already on this spectrum that I love uh, doing creative projects and have turned my idea into reality. Um, mm -hmm. how, how about comedy? I never thought I was a funny person. I just, I just tell people about what I think and people laugh. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I guess it's probably the way I look at life that people find funny. Um, mm -hmm. Now that I look back at it, a lot of times it's because I came from a different upbringing, a different experience. So some ordinary things um, that Americans took for granted, I will come with a different perspective. And that uh, conflict with, uh, with the expectation uh, surprised them. And that make it <laughs> laugh and funny. Yeah, so when I was, um, you know, prior to this conversation, I was doing a little research about you. So <laughs> I read your blogs and then I also remember reading an interview you did um, and talking about how you found your or how you reconnected to your cultural heritage through comedy. But also I feel like hearing you speak, it's almost, it's that cultural identity and heritage of you that created or led you to comedy in a way too right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um i was just reflecting on this um and i i remember there's a quote uh from charlie chaplin a lot of time it's a tragedy uh in a as a scene codes up but uh comedy uh seeing the long term <laughs> so mm. a lot of our tragic moment that how we suffered at the time was was miserable later it when you get over with it and then you look at it, it's like it, it became comedy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so to me, my, uh, me growing up in China, um, a lot of times at the time, it was painful for me, even though maybe school was easy, but I was picked on by my family, uh, people around me about my physical appearance a lot. Um, and, um, you know, how, <laughs> like, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, pretty in their by their standard, I was a totally tomboy. Um, there's a lot of internal pain and insecurity, um, but I have to 
get over that. And then when you get over and you look back and you, you turn that into something you, you laugh at yourself at. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so for me to really explore who I am, uh, like to talk about comedy is in a way to look back at my, my story. Um, like sometimes it's, it's a therapeutical because at the time I was in so much pain. Um, and when I came to America, I fully embraced the American culture, but I rejected uh, Chinese culture as a whole. Like mm -hmm. I feel like I uh, associated with a lot of pain. Mm. Going through comedy, I uh, relieved those memories and it was a, more like a grown up perspective. All of a sudden I understand my parents better. I understand my grandparents better. Um, being able to laugh at it, I forgive it. And then I also started to look at some like really beautiful uh, values and cultures that we grew up with. And I felt like, oh, I'm proud uh, to be a Chinese. Like mm -hmm. I am embracing the beauty of the culture, but also I'm appreciating the American culture too. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's kind of like I made a transition. Um, yeah. I appreciate Chinese culture. Yeah. I really... Um I really can identify with what you said about the initial rejection. And I feel like, um, I think from your story, there is that association, right? Of bad experiences growing up and you kind of associate that with the Chinese culture. Yeah. I personally have gone through different phases. Initially was, I was very little and it was just about, oh, I need to fit in, right? Yeah. So, yeah. and I think we kind of exchange about this. Um, you know, when I first moved to Singapore, people would make reference of like certain TV shows and, you know, cartoons. And I had no idea, right? Because I grew up watching Hulu Ba and like, Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> like a Xiuji. Yeah. But when, when they make reference to certain, you know, like Western cartoon or characters, I had no idea. And people would say casually that, oh, do you not have a childhood? You know, and, and that kind of hurt me, right? Because... And then it also made me feel like, oh no, I don't have a childhood because I don't know about all these cartoon characters that they're referencing, you yep. know? So yep. I started like binging on like Power Rangers and I don't know, like just all kinds of like Western shows so that I could be more, I don't know, I could be more normal or I could be seen like having a more uh, childhood. And then, but then I think it's really after I left Asia and went to North America and I think it's the common saying right like the um, absence makes the heart a fonder I think that's when I started to look back at Chinese culture from a distance and yeah. then also really just immersing myself completely in the western culture where I see its flaws which exist in any culture right and I think that also gave me a, an opportunity to look back and to really appreciate the Chinese culture more, I guess, more objectively or at a different, you know, through a different lens. Mm -hmm. So I think that's how I reconnected. And I, I don't know if you shared that similar experience. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so much uh, to unpack here, um, yeah. but I totally relate to this, you know, um, the pop culture reference or something come up with a typical um American uh, response is like, oh my God, I can't believe you never heard of this and that. The, the funny thing is if you, this conversation can happen in between of Americans and then American person say, yeah, I haven't, so what? And then yeah. they're like, fine, you know. But if you are an immigrant and yeah. you say that, they're like, what? And then they just, they keep on going on as if you don't know anything and you are supposed to know everything about their culture, which is, ridiculous because they don't know any of like the, the most classic Chinese literature right so yeah. um, in a way when you are you are on the other side of this a lot you start to doubt yourself you have insecurity you feel like for you to fit in like you feel like you don't belong and yeah. that's the biggest thing um, for us I feel like the moment you feel you don't belong that take a very large part of confidence of yourself away it's like if I walk down the street, I'm feeling confident. I project that energy. And actually, the outcome of people respond to you is very different than I was like, I'm worried. I'm look around. And all I think about is to protect myself. Like, you cannot be creative uh, when you're in that uh, fear zone. Yeah. And yeah. so that got me thinking with comedy, right? Because comedy, it's very contextual. And, you know, it's almost like you need to understand 
the culture in order to find it funny, right? Because you somehow need to relate to it. So what was your initial encounter with comedy and how was that like? Yeah, it's um, it's surprisingly the the first time I tried it, like was uh, was received it very well. Like, of course, there's a lot of um, like I don't know how it is going to go, and I'm I'm still talking about a lot of my experience. A lot of that is come about like growing up in China or living in a, uh, in Indiana when I didn't speak English. Um, but I guess it bring the contracts of it's still in the context um people have a certain basic knowledge so that gave me a taste of what it would be like so maybe i have beginner's luck but at uh, my first recital um i just you know i brought some friends and i did well and then there are people after the show coming in and say wow i really like you should really do this so that gave me a little bit confident boost so i decided to keep on going um but later it is a thing about how do i make this relatable because a lot of things i talk about um people here they have not experienced it but i take that is uh the the part of the fun and the challenge because it's hard for me to find out what's the angle i can talk about this um but that's also the most rewarding part because ultimately i ask myself why do i want to do comedy like why because it's not like I want money. There's no money from comedy. Um, I don't want fame. I, I think it's, a, you know, if you look at Johnny Depp and like he and his wife were just torn each other apart. I don't know what's the point of fame. Um, ultimately, I want a con connection. In the world right now, we're just more divided than ever. I feel like a two strangers can connect on each other on just a basic human level. It's the most beautiful thing. Yes. Me, yeah. So to me, being able to find something that telling my story in a way that on the surface level, you could have been more further from each other, but underlying it, we're connected by our humanity. And I think that is very beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's so true because you know, it also got me reflecting on my question uh, about relatability because, you know, like you said, I think at the end of the day, maybe it's not so much about relatability. It's more about finding the angle that people can relate, right? Because I think underneath it all, there is that human to human connection, that human to human relatability that uh, it's just about which angle you, you position it so that it's easier for them to find that inner connection. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. So do you remember the first time you saw comedy? Like who, um, did you like laugh? What was that experience like? And who are some of your, um, I guess, I think they call it comedy heroes or people that you <laughs> admire, look up to? Um, so the first time I bought a ticket to see a live comedy show, maybe it was mm, maybe 14, 15 years ago. Uh, wow. to see uh, Jim Gaffigan. I remember at the time, everybody was laughing around me and I was getting it. Like <laughs> some words, I didn't understand it. Some like I, I understand the words, but I don't know why it's funny. Um, it just, there was so much like context and culture and like um, reference I didn't know. Uh, that's probably one of the things that put me away from comedy for the longest time because I feel like okay it's hard enough for me to learn the language not to mention to be funny and then not to mention to know all the cultural context but then when I tried comedy I did not use those reference and there there are times like I have immigrants um, in in the audience they were saying oh my god I relate to everything you say Usually I don't understand comedy, but I understand everything you said and it's really funny. And that made, like, that just made my heart melt, right? Because mm -hmm. I relate to that. And I made a choice to not use uh, reference as that much. And then like, it's speaking to people like me. Um, and then like, they, it's not like they don't have sense of humor. They don't know comedy, but there's obstacle there with like a lot of things we don't, we don't know. Um, so this is a part of the, the, the things that keep reminding myself is 
there I'm doing this also representing or sharing some of my story that is relatable to people have some similar life experience as me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So do you, so was it, because you said it was dancing that kind of opened up your creative yeah. side and then that eventually led you to comedy. So was, was there any comedian that you saw and then you're like, hey, you know, I could do this too. Or what was, do you oh. still remember that exact journey of how you got in? Yeah, comedy? actually, um, like, so there is a period of time um, there are just a lot of Netflix comedy specials uh, just rolling in. Um, at the time, every night I have this ritual to wash my face. And sometimes it takes a little longer. I got bored. So I want to watch Netflix special while washing my face. As a result, I watch so many specials. Um, <laughs> and then in the beginning, I just thought it's all right. You know, a lot of the white male comedians, I don't find them that funny. So I watched so many comedy specials. Um, and so then I start to see more people of color. Ali Wong, Hassan Minaj, um, and then there's more immigrant talking about uh, how they struggle with English. All these things I relate, and that just like so, and it is something that I think about in showers. I think I have all these thoughts because I come from a different background. I notice things like this, so I was thinking, wow, yeah, I think like how they think. Mm -hmm. so maybe there is something there and maybe the fact that I don't speak English that well is why I have a different angle and then this become funny to me yeah yeah and I, and I think it's really just about switching the mindset right because I have I've, I've, I've experienced, you know, uh, being self-conscious about oh am I using the right word or why isn't my English good enough and I Honestly, I've actually struggled on both sides. I struggle with Chinese and I struggle with English. <laughs> so I feel embarrassed if I didn't understand a certain Chinese word. And I obviously feel very embarrassed if I have, you know, misspoken English and, and all of that. But I think just hearing you- I do you, that all the time. <laughs> but as you said, I think it's about how you, how you frame it, right? You can frame it to your advantage and you can just fully embrace that side of you and say, oh, hey, I'm learning. I may not get all of the term right, but you know, there's humor in it, right? Yeah. Or I could look at it as, hey, you know, I'm bilingual. I, you know, I may not be able to speak perfect Chinese or English, but I'm able to get, you know, understand the different cultures. So I think it's really, you know, as you said, it's how you frame it and how you embrace it and own yeah. that uniqueness uh, that you bring to the table. Yes. Yeah. And so I think we talked a little bit about this, but I'm curious, have you always, you know, sort of um, created your comedy content around your cultural identity or heritage? Or was it, you know, a process of sort of experimentation and then, you know, it just happened along the way? Um, let's see. I, when I started, it's mostly around my culture and heritage. Um, because one of the reasons why I want to do comedy, um, my goal is not to, I want to make people laugh. Um, my, but the true driver is to me is I want to share some of, the stories, I want to maybe challenge a certain point of view by not confrontational, but to poke fun of, yeah. you know, some of the daily life thing and then to make people think. So that has always been something I'm more interested in. Mm -hmm. But as I leave, um, you know, like, you know, you got to try different things. So for me, it's more about what's happening in my life. I talk about anything. Um, but sometimes my perspective is influenced because of my upbringing, because of my culture. You just cannot get away from it, right? Like, yeah. um, you know, even though if I talk about um, uh, now I'm engaged, I'm planning a, a wedding with my fiance and his family. And obviously it's just an ordinary thing about wedding, but because of the culture of how I have to deal with my mom in China, and there's potential Chinese wedding, there's the Western wedding, there's traditions. So that naturally become things I see and I find funny and I will talk about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's like, you know, in a way you're kind of bridging the culture and, and looking 
it's almost like a very optimistic approach to <laughs> cultural differences, right? Because yeah. some of these differences could become point of conflict, but you know, it's almost like you've taken a very light and optimistic approach and and find the humor in it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I talk about dark stuff, um, but I like to find the the funny and the what's the light thing. Um, you know, like I think one of the things that I like to talk about China censorship. I mean, of course, I do not support China censorship. Like I, but in the meantime, to to bring like what is like, I will you know also mention. Hey, the benefit is like my parents cannot see anything I post, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, I can kind of just show away, and you know, like if anything, I can blame the par- blame the government. You know, like my mom said, "Why don't you send me the pictures?" I was like, "Ah, it's blocked by the government." <laughs> 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 um, so, so those are the type of things I try to find um, the things I want to talk about, but. Uh, like you know, like I feel like when you are just so serious, it become a little bit preachy. I don't want to be preachy. I want to mm-hmm. my personal story um, to get people to think on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and on the other hand, now that I you know um, I've lived here for sixteen well wait wait two yeah sixteen years, and I became a U.S. citizen. Um, so there is the perspective like as a as an immigrant, my experience of um, like leaving America and loving America. Like honestly, um, the very fact that I got to pursue dancing, I got to pursue stand-up comedy, like in a way that is the American dream, right? And the, the, the fact that I have the freedom to choose what I do, I say, you know, um, and then on the other hand, it's also like, I feel there's more and more division in our country. Um, even though I'm I'm a I, I'm a foreigner, I love this country. I want us to be united, and and so, that even being able to talk about that your love for America is immigrant, I think it's important. That help us uh, people do not see us as aliens. Um, when I uh, lived in Indiana, there are very beautiful people who helped me. Like as somebody who didn't know the country, didn't speak English, they helped me to establish and make friends. So it's not the image that people put into that like, some conservative people hate immigrants, right? Um, so mm-hmm. this is the part of like I also would. I have been integrate that into my comedy to share this part of the the story and in my life, and so hopefully can bring more connection, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, uh, among people. Yeah, absolutely. Because America is the land of immigrants, except for right. the Native Americans that were there. Um, everyone is an immigrant essentially. I think it's just a matter of when you when you arrive, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that you said that I agree is the the opportunity and the uh, the freedom but i don't say freedom in a sense to me not so much about freedom of speech but more so just the example i mean um growing up in asia i think in singapore and i even found this out from my european colleagues so typically if you had studied an art or a science or a particular subject right you kind of follow through with that right so if you study yeah. science you become an engineer you become whatever you're in that track um, even in Canada, because um, I did my undergrad in, in, in Toronto, um, you somehow your undergrad has, your undergrad needs to set the foundation for you to pursue your master's or your graduate mm-hmm. school. But in America, I came in with zero background in psychology. My undergrad was in economics and international relations, and I was able to get into Columbia for psychology. I mean, that in itself is such a good example, right? That's that, amazing. Yeah. Yes, it's not so much about um, it's not so much about all of the you know. It, first of all, you're not pigeonholed in one track. I think that is the beauty of the system, um, and then also you know you have the opportunity and the freedom to choose to pursue something else along the way, and I think that's exactly what you said about how you were able to get into comedy, right? Yeah. Even though you were not, you know, born into that comedy environment. Um, yeah, one thing I like to say is the freedom to make my own mistake. Mm. Yeah, It's in a way that, you know, like our Asian parents were like Asian culture in general, it's like, 
very protective. Our parents want the best of us. So yeah. always path set for you. It's like, they know, I know this is better for you. I know, I don't want to get hurt. Yeah. But I think in a way that I want, I to want remember. to try that. Like, it's okay if I fall as long as that's something I choose to do. And I learn from it. And I think that's a very beautiful thing. Like, you know, sometimes, like, I would cry and I would just, like, curl up, cry at a good boy. But it's, I made a mistake. I'm not going to figure out <laughs> how I'm going to get up myself, you know? So, yeah. um, that's just life. Yeah, yeah. So, talking about this you know, cultural nuances or cultural differences. I'm curious to, to talk to you or to get your perspective on uh, comedy versus xiangsheng. So for mm-hmm. those of, um, of us who may not be extremely familiar with xiangsheng, so xiangsheng, I find it's the art that is on the surface very similar to stand-up comedy, right? So typically you have one individual or sometimes in pairs up on a stage and essentially like telling jokes and some of them are like to critique of society. Some of them are just like poking fun at, you know, at different things that they had observed. So from your perspective, like, where do you see, what do you see are the commonalities and the differences between these two art forms from two different cultures? Um, yeah. So for like, I love Xiangsheng, like growing up, you know, we have the like, like Xiangsheng is one of my favorites. Um, but in, at the same time, I would say I am no authority when it comes to Xiangsheng because I was a kid. So, <laughs> you know, like the context I can get um, is probably a to, to a level. Like if I go back and look at Xiangsheng again, maybe I'll pick up a lot of things. But from what I remember, um, like Xiangsheng also think about like they, you have a such large audience and that is like on TV. So everything you present, you got to be really funny. Um, and a lot of times they have like the actor, like a character act out, but it's not personal. Mm. Like, I don't know anything about that comedian, honestly. There's not um, much vulnerability of who that person is behind this character they put together. Um, on the other hand, I feel like the American form of stand-up comedian is actually all about being personal you you got to have a different perspective of who are you mm-hmm. uh, and be vulnerable i mean of course there are different type of co- comedy everywhere so i i feel like i'm trying to have a blanket cover it all but um at least the the comedy i've been observing more and more and like uh, where we're going and the part i resonate is is it's more like it touched people's heart in a way because it, it's vulnerable. Um, it's talking about your lived experience. Maybe it's exaggerated, but a lot of the comedy comes from truth in life in that way. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if some, something could be said about that nuance or that difference in culture just through looking at these two art forms, right? Because I think it reminds me of the fact that the Chinese culture tend to be a little more indirect right um you know and and it requires a lot of interpretation you don't really get everything on the surface so it's almost like or the language is very uh can be very subtle or sometimes you need to really think about it to get to understand the full meaning whereas the american culture tend to be a lot more direct so i think there's that dimension and then the other dimension is also um you know being very individualistic in the culture it's a lot about highlighting the individual experience Mm -hmm. that very personal touch through the comedy which i agree with you because you know just hearing this got me thinking back at all of the different comedy i've seen definitely there are different camps i think some tend to focus more on i don't know political or or social uh you know uh, observations and then there's definitely a big camp that talks a lot about their personal journey, their personal experiences, and then bringing that to, mm-hmm. you know, um, to the stage. And actually, it was last weekend I saw the comedy of Hannah Gatsby. She's oh yeah, I love her. Brilliant uh, comedian, and I, I mean, that was another experience because it was like laughing, but more crying. Yes, I cried yes. so much. And I think that really just, you know, like you said, it's, it's kind of like, um, 
you know, really just putting, letting yourself be vulnerable and really putting yourself out there and unpacking or looking back at your past trauma. Yeah. So it's really, it's just exactly like how you are, you're describing comedy. Yeah, she actually, I forgot to mention, she's one of the, also like a biggest inspiration for me because until her, all the comedy you see almost feels like you got to always laugh, laugh, right? Um, oh, actually, Hasan Minaj is also another person. Like when I watch his Homecoming King, like I, I have moments of tearing up. Like it really, like a, my heart just feels like, you know, um, there are moments of just, you know, uh, really have tears in my eyes. But then, then he got me laughing. It's like laugh and cry because you, you went to some place that's so deep in your heart. And Hannah Gatsby is the same way. That, and also she took a huge risk. And there's like long, however many minutes that like you are just, whether you cry or you're tensed up. Yes. That's a huge risk because I know that uh, when traditional comedy, I'm still have people say this to me all the time. Every 15 seconds, you got to have a laugh. You got to have every 15 seconds. Otherwise, you're not good enough. You're not, the, your jokes are not tight. Um, so being able to see somebody do that, take the risk, and people relate to that is a huge um, inspiration. And that opens my eye to see, no, it's not, that, it's not just one way. Just mm-hmm. go with your heart. That's yes. what it matters. Yes. Yeah. And, and also your point about that inner human connection, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a straight woman. I mean, I'm a minority in the Western world. Mm-hmm. And her stories was very personal to her own, you know, coming out and her own journey. And, and, I, and I felt that connection. I felt that connection about her saying, you know, shame and sort of, you know, being, you know, brought up to think that there is one way and that is the right way. And if any deviation from that, it's, you know, you're not normal, you are ashamed, right? And, and yeah. I think in the Asian community, people talk a lot about shame, but it's not unique to the Asian community. Yeah. It's, it's actually yeah. everywhere, right? So yeah. again, I think it's an opportunity to realize that maybe we shouldn't be generalizing or, or shedding specific light or something about, so talk about cultural differences in that way, because yeah. What she's saying, it's, you know, she's from a completely different um, environment than, than us, but what she shared about the shame and about the social expectation and about, you know, finding your own uh, identity. I mean, that's, that I, that's something that, you know, you don't need to be in her exact position to fully relate to the story that she was telling. Yes. Yeah. Because I think when you are really speaking truths from your heart, the human's natural tendency is to connect. And then there's always something in you as long as it's real. Like you can't be phony because like people detect that really quick. Yes. Um, you know, and then, then you do have some basic level of, you know, whether it's the shame, insecurity, um, expectation of a society, we all have been there. Yeah. 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 So how long have you been in comedy? Like two years, three years? So now is uh, two and a half years. Wow. So what, what, what has been the experience, you know, being, um, can I say still relatively new to the comedy world yes. and then being, you know, a minority, what has the experience like in the comedy yeah, world? It's, it's complicated and definitely very challenging because when I first started, like, you know, when I was in that beginner's luck zone, um, you know, like when I go to my first and second open mic and there's immediately there are people coming in to say, you're, wow, you're really great. It's like people are always very surprised to find out I was so new to comedy because like, oh, you have so much um, confidence or stage presence. I think some of that is probably from my dance performance that I wasn't too, like I have a fair stage fright, but um, I know how to handle it. So that I hide that very well. Um, you know, like within a few months into comedy, like I was selected in like Northwest Women's Festival. So there is a, a crazy amount of like this, uh, wow, that's great. But in the meantime, there's a little bit like that imposter syndrome um, just happening. Just like, wait, I, am I just got lucky or am I actually good? Because everybody else have to do a much long time. 
So with this happening, then, you know, in a scene where you don't, you don't see um, as many like women to begin with, not to mention like um, women of color. And there's a lot of like uh, white male there, you know, in a scene and a lot of them, they will come in to say, oh, no, they choose you because, like, you're, you're like, a minority. Oh, you, got, you are oh, their wow. diversity card, right? So when you're already kind of have that imposter syndrome going on and then people are saying that, you just have so much more pressure. And anytime you go to a show, then all of a sudden, you feel like you have a lot more to prove. Because mm. if you fail... And then, oh, yeah, they are right. You prove them they're right. And then you are only there because this, you know, is your mm -hmm. ticket diversity into the lineup. Um, so that's one thing. And on the other hand, the experience in Seattle, in the city, um, a lot of, you know, like people are generally more uh, getting, they know more, they see more Asians. They see more people look like me. I have gone done comedy in the middle of nowhere like you know the places are very conservative like you don't see anyone but white people right and so um and then it can depend certain people are still very friendly but there are times you show up they never seen um anyone like you before they do not expect you to be funny also um asian women are kind of known to be more uh, shy submissive and when you are not like that, they just couldn't accept you. They could not, they were just like immediately, you know, like instead of they pay money here, like they, they were here to have a good time. Instead of they were like finding every reason to think you are not funny. So, you know, it's a it's very different vibe. You have to be 10 times, work 10 times harder than your white male uh, other fellow comedians to get a laugh. So that's the battle you have to fight through. So it's mm -hmm. definitely a, a very mixed feeling about like, oh, I, oh, people like me. Oh, people hate me. Oh, no, I'm like scared. <laughs> um, definitely a lot of, um, like it keep on changing. But in the end, I, I feel during this pandemic, there's a lot of moments that I just reflect, why do I want to do comedy? Like, my life has, like, I worked so hard so I have a good job, have a good life. Why do I put myself through all this all over again? I was miserable, right? Um, and then I realized the payoff about being able to connect with people. And there are people coming to say, after hearing that story, the warmth, like, I have a veteran. Um, just, I never met this person, but they sent me a message about, uh, when I talk about how proud to be American, there was like that warmed his heart because like, you know, there are people really appreciate and loving our country. That meant a lot to him. And then to me, that's the most beautiful thing. So I realized it's not, I'm, it's not my job to please every single one. I also don't want to tell a lot of dumb jokes <laughs> um, to just get a laugh. That's mm -hmm. not my goal. Um, I think my story and a voice can probably bring more connection and understanding of people. And that to me is very, very rewarding. Mm -hmm. Talk about, you know, bridging cultures. Uh, you know, you certainly put yourself out there and, and, and showcasing your own cultural identity and sharing that with people through comedy. But then you're also doing that in your uh, you're a social media profile, right? So you're, you're doing a lot of, you know, um, unpacking the nuances through the Chinese language. So tell us about that inspiration. How did you come up with, with that? Yeah, I, I didn't even really come up with it. But uh, when uh, last year I took my now fiance boyfriend at the time to China to meet my parents and for China for the very first time. I'm just trying to teach him some basic Chinese to survive <laughs> or, you know, make a good impression with my parents. Um, but instead of like, cause he is good with language, but Chinese is just hard. He was uh, struggling and I didn't have the patience to tell him <laughs> over and over again. So I decided to, to record some video for him. And that's when we got this phone. They have this whole um, emoji, like you can record a video. So somebody who looked cuter than me, um, so he couldn't be a like a frustrated 
looking at my face. <laughs> so I record those videos, speak slow. I put some subtitles there so he can see the pinyin. Um, turned out it became the most effective way for him to learn. Like, and one of his favorite phrases is "辛苦了." And I was trying to explain Shinkula to him. It's like, well, it's not just thank you. It's not that you're suffering, but it's more like I, uh, I, I acknowledge your effort. And I appreciate this a lot. And, you know, like almost like you're suffering, you know, and I appreciate it. Um, and then so that becomes his favorite phrase. And in, and in a way, he also shared like, oh, there's nothing like this in English, but I wish we do. Um, that's kind of the initial i post a little video of um i i made it for him but i shared it just in case people are interested and i think that just one thing leads to another um like i think i got connected with you because of that post uh, and now i got my brain spinning to think about other things i noticed um i don't think my job here is to teach chinese because there's tons of much better resources than i can do but i'm trying to share some funny observations that maybe like people on the both sides, like people who know Chinese culture or people who don't know Chinese culture, but maybe appreciate um, this through their life experience. Um, yeah. I mean, the Xinkula is such a, I mean, it's, it's such a perfect example, right? Because honestly, when I read that post and I read how you explain it, I, I kind of took the term for granted too. And then when I read what you said and how you describe it, it's so true because it's really a lot of different meanings sort of packed into three characters. And it's also, I think it is that sense of empathy, right? Empathy. In that term. So it's like mm -hmm. thankful appreciation, but also the empathy um, in it that you're trying to mm -hmm. show when someone has put in the effort or gone through uh, the trouble of doing something. So it's such a beautiful term that I actually never would have thought of if, if I hadn't read that post of yours. Yeah. So, but yeah. I, if I wouldn't thought about until my fiance pointed out that, wow, that's really nice. I don't have anyone say something like to me in English. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that that is also something that, that I'm super interested in and I want to do is also, you know, even as Chinese, sometimes we take for granted certain things or certain words or certain parts of history or philosophy. And I think in my work with Culture Gen and also collaborating with you on finding all these interesting terms, it's also a way that I'm reconnecting um, with my, my culture and my heritage, right? It's, I think it's yeah, just being more yeah. conscious about your identity, who you are and also the heritage that, that you have inherited that is so precious. Yes, yeah, and I feel like, you know, see, we have similar, like, understanding of Chinese culture, but even that, like, I feel there is a brainstorming process about, like, how you want, how, what you see, you know, like, yuanfen, uh, for example, there's so many layers of it, and then, yeah. like, um, you know, using that red thread uh, to explain, I just found it's very, very beautiful and poetic. So, uh, another example of, you know, challenges are the, you know, when you talk about, when you talk about, like, uh, tragedy turning to comedy, there is a fine line you want to walk that people need to know, first of all, you're okay with it. And the second, they need to have this common understanding that this is no longer a tragedy. But I think different cultures like Chinese and American have a different bars for where tragedy is, right? Uh, I'll give you a real example. Um, one of the bits, I'm still like polishing is um, my grandma cooked my pet bunny as my 10-year-old birthday present. So a lot of the Chinese people found it funny because yeah. uh, they, have, they have a similar experience. They know their grandparents see their pets as food, right? Because we grew up at this time that like, I'm not the first generation we see animal uh, as pet. Right, but I still get it from the farmer's market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got my pet bunny from farmer's market. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so that, that story itself is very, um, like, sometimes Americans get it. French people love it. Um, <laughs> 
Why? Why, why is that? <laughs> they, eat, they eat bunnies. They eat rabbit. Oh. They they eat rabbit. So yeah. French people get a joke and they laugh at it, but Americans is oh like and it's like they feel super messed up. Um, but then the true story is also like <laughs> like the the bunny was so I had a, a four in total, and the three of them are died from they are getting sick, and I have one large one like left, and and she was fine. So my my grandma was like, we gotta eat her before she dies. <laughs> <laughs> and and then the thing is, I came home from school, and she's like, "Oh, it's a surprise! Try it!" <laughs> and so it's like, then you will guess, and and I ate it, right? And I just like, "How how to? Wow!" <laughs> and after that, and she said, "Oh yeah, that's uh, that's your bunny." Like I was, <laughs> I was crying. Oh my God, I'm crying from laughing. <laughs> But now you know, like I got over it. Like you know, the thing is, like of all Pascos, bunnies. I never. I tried so hard, but we never had an emotional connection. That bunny didn't connect with me at that time. Which is sad. Um, on the other hand, I tried to like uh, on my jokes. I feel like the part made it okay to the American audience. Is like, look, when your pets get sick, right? Like your pets are about to die. You, you spend thousands of dollars, and go to the vet. Have to murder your pet. <laughs> you hire somebody to murder your pet. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I never thought of that. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I think that's where I'm trying to find angle. Is like, okay, okay. Look, you you think we're cruel? You think we're bad? You spend money to kill your pet. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay. If anything, I am more spiritually bonded with my bunny. Yes, because it's yeah, you re, you reunited in your stomach. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, I have a very similar story. It was my six-year-old, my little chicken, was cooked when I oh. turned six, but it wasn't because I was getting into uh, boarding school. Uh-huh. And growing up, I've always wanted pets from my parents, and because we lived in a very small apartment, so my parents were like, "No, you can't. We have no room for pets." So finally, I was able to get. A little chicken from the farmers market again, some yeah. morning market. Yeah, and that was like my little pet because I treated like a dog, right? It's like you know, like my little puppy. Yeah, and then yes. it obviously grew bigger and bigger, and it is becoming a little hard because you're not meant to keep chicken in apartments. <laughs> so um, yeah, and then when I turned six and I was going to go into a boarding school so my uncle back then he's a really good chef so he came over we had a family dinner uh lunch at my house and that was when they decided that we're gonna have chicken for lunch <laughs> and that is the chicken <laughs> and and I was just crying so bad but the funny part that I always remember was my cousin came over and my cousin had I don't think she has even met my chicken but she was crying with me. I mean, she was even sadder than I was. So we were in the other room crying. I don't know why she's crying, but we're in the other room crying. And then they're enjoying their lunch in the other living room. And I just remembered, yeah, she smelled really good. But I was just too busy crying and I just couldn't get over it. <laughs> I know. It's like I can totally read because I was crying so hard. But the thing is, I ate it. And I, oh yeah, that's even worse. I, I also, I also acknowledge like how good it tastes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so hilarious! <laughs> I'm glad you find it funny. Like, no, it's not always the case. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how to.、Um, Describe that, and I think maybe is what you said. You know, you kind of move on from that trauma or that experience, and you look back at it with a different perspective. And I also, I think it's maybe now, like as we look back, we we put ourselves in our parents' shoes, and then and that's maybe that's why we're getting another、um, perspective out of that yeah traumatizing yeah, experience. <laughs> ultimately, what I understand is like you know. My grandma, she grew up at a time when all her siblings died from starvation, right? And then, like, 
or like there, she had the time that like I have to hide in the basement when um, the Japanese like were invading China. So like she lived a very hard life. For her, is like never waste the food. Never. Yes. <laughs> she raised her own chicken. She took very good care of a chicken. But that from day one is food. <laughs> yeah. So to me, yeah. it's more about like I understand where she come from, and you know, like she did this not to traumatize me. She did this from a place of love. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's yeah, it's so beautiful the you know the way you you said it, and I feel like. You know, deep down, that's something that I feel that Chinese diasporas, and maybe not just Chinese diasporas, right? But I feel like people around the world that have experienced different cultures. I think we can really, rather than talking about how we're torn between the culture, we're conflicted between culture, which are rightly, you know, the uh, the real experiences that we 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 did go through and we're still going through. But I feel like the the ability to immerse yourself into it really gives you a great sense of empathy, which I think is very much needed. And I and I feel like I really hope through these stories, um, conversations like the conversation that I'm having with you, we can we can really harness that experience and use it for something that's positive, right? Because we are the world. It is becoming more divided. It is more polarizing. And I think we need more people to be out there bridging cultures and helping others find that understanding, um, helping them see things from different perspectives. And quite honestly, at the end of the day, that's what makes the world beautiful. I mean, imagine everybody think and talks the same way. Right? Yeah. 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 So, you know, this conversation could go on forever. I feel like there's so much to talk to you about. But I think in wrapping this up, I'm just, you know, I kind of want to hear from you, you know, you being the first, uh, our first guest, our first, um, in our first episode. So like, what do you see? What, what, what are you looking forward to, whether it's uh, for the rest of the series or whether it's, you know, uh, in, a, in the broader global Chinese diaspora community? What do you want to see more and what are you looking forward to? Um, I think a lot of that, I go back to the inspiration of how we met. Like, I feel there are so many of us um, amazing Chinese diasporas out there. I do not know where you are, because uh, a lot of times, like, you know, we're busy in our own world, right? But I feel like um, just just show yourself out in, in this world and also be open to what comes your way, um, because a lot of times we uh, think about our stories or just like ordinary stories. But when you share, if somebody relates, um, that empowers them because they know they're not alone, like they're not isolated. And honestly, that um, like, I'm sure like any stories, I want to hear stories from other Chinese diasporas. And mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going to relate to a lot of them. Um, in the meantime, we're going to have a different stories. And I, I would love that because um, a lot of times people have this um, stereotype of how Chinese, the Chinese Americans are like. No, we're, we're different. Um, so, you know, just by be you and uh, the true you, don't shy away and just like uh, be authentic out there. And that itself is defeating stereotype without trying. Mm-hmm. That's such a good ending to this <laughs> conversation. I love that. So thank you so much, Bernice, for taking the time. I'm, you know, thank you for sharing your fascinating stories and your perspective. And I'm sure this won't be our last conversation. You know, as I said, there, you're such a multifaceted person. There's so many things we could talk about. Oh, so kind. thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah, thank uh, you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this journey you are starting. I can't wait to meet and follow along like other Chinese diasporas and hear their stories. And so, yes, yeah, so keep me posted. I will be followed closely. Okay, but actually, before I let you go, I know you're doing something very, very meaningful and impactful, and I think it's coming in September, right? You're producing your very first comedy show. So tell us a little bit about that, and maybe others will be interested to participate as well. 
Cool. I will try to make it short because I'm so excited. I don't want to talk about it too long. But on September 17th, um, I am producing this show to raise funds for this um, nonprofit organization called No Limits for Deaf Children. So they are a nonprofit that um, teach like speech class or like Deaf children these days uh, with uh, surgery, they can all hear things, but still it's a very challenging journey for them to speak, uh, to learn, and then also adapt in the society to be successful. So uh, this organization uh, is dedicated their efforts for that. Um, and during the pandemic, you know, a lot of their fundraising effort were like cannot happen. So uh, I'm, I'm doing online comedy show, bring some like really amazing talents in comedy Comedy. They donated their time to be on the show. Um, so all the tickets sell will go to the nonprofit. Awesome. I, I will definitely be there. So, you know, if you're listening to this or if you're watching this, um, we'll put a link, right? Yeah. If you have a, a link. Yeah, we'll, we'll make sure to include the link. Um, yeah, our headliner, uh, Kathy Buckley, she is a deaf comedian, motivational speaker. If you Google her, and like you will be so inspired, and she will be our host and headliner. Awesome. Super looking forward to that. Yeah. So thank you again, Bernice. Uh, thank you so much for, for sharing your story, and um, we hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you so much, Summer, and uh, I know we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for joining us in this journey to build a global Chinese diaspora community one conversation at a time. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends. And you can also follow us on Instagram at CultureGen. That's where we post daily Chinese artistic and cultural content to inspire our modern living. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care.